0: The Bible contains great financial advice and also answers questions of morality. Join us as we look for answers to your questions and help you know your Bible. Good morning. Welcome to Know Your Bible. We're glad you're here. We're glad that uh, you tuned in again to find some answers to some of your questions. Hopefully that's what you're here for and hopefully we get to your question today. But if you're a first time viewer, you may not know how we operate. Uh, You'll notice a phone number and a website on the screen there. If you have some question about the Bible that you've always wondered about or maybe something going on in your life that you wonder what the Bible would have to say about that. Uh, just dial that phone or log on and tell us that question and we'll put it in our stack of questions and get to it just as quickly as we can. That's what we do is answer Bible questions. We want people to know their Bible better and we found this is a pretty good way to do it. Just let you tell us what you'd like to know about. So, that's our program plan and uh, we want to get to answering questions just as fast as we can. So, let me bring Toby Levering into the picture here. Hi, Toby. Hi, Steve. Glad you're here and ready to go. And, of course, we always have one little question for our viewers. First, try this one. Uh, name the son of Adam who replaced Abel, which uh, they had a son after Abel was killed and what was his name? I'll give you the answer to that at the end of the program and see if you know that a little bit of trivia. Alright, looks like I drew the first question today and it is, what does the Bible teach about predestination? Uh, I knew we were going to get that question. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's uh, not the way the world works. We don't know what's going to happen. God does, in a sense, and that's what this viewer wants to know. Is uh, there is a doctrine of theology that usually is called Calvinism uh, that teaches that God's predestined everything to happen. He's going to choose who will be saved. He's going to choose who will be lost. And there's really nothing we can do about it. So that's usually how the term predestination is used. Uh, the Bible does talk about uh, saved people being uh, predetermined or destined to that. I think we have to understand, uh, put in the rest of the Bible and mainly understand that we've got free will. We've got choice. The uh, Bible says God is not willing that any should perish. John three sixteen says, "Whosoever believes on him can be saved." So that, uh, that makes the predestination, uh, God already picked everything. That makes that real hard to believe. So you mix that free will in there, that we get a choice, and uh, you got to kind of figure out, all right, how do I, how does this work together? I think the best explanation is there's a difference between foreknowledge. And predetermining or predestining, God knows what's going to happen. Uh, he can see future time doesn't mean anything to him. He knows that, but that doesn't mean he causes it to happen. The other thing that I think helps on this is to look at it in a general way instead of a specific way. Uh, he predetermined that everybody that believes on him, everybody that obeys him, will go to heaven. Okay. Uh, but that doesn't mean he picks who will go to heaven. We have predetermined on this program that anybody that calls the phone number or logs onto the website uh, will and asks for the Bible correspondence course will get a Bible correspondence course, can be a student. So we have predestined that anybody who responds can be a Bible correspondence course student. But that doesn't mean we determined that. Ruth and Mabel and Joe and Sam out there were the only ones who were going to get it, okay? Uh, we predetermined the conditions and the whole operation. Uh, for instance, say a school teacher tells at the start of school, well, I'm going to give extra credit points for this and that, and anybody that gets 50 points gets to go to the zoo. It's a field trip, okay? She predestined that certain people in that room would get to go to the zoo. In fact, she may even have enough foreknowledge (laughs) knowing those kids, she may know a pretty good guess who's going to get to go. But that doesn't mean she determines it. It's open to them because they have free will to study or not. Okay, those illustrations are not uh, completely accurate or perfect, but hopefully they help you understand what God predestined. He predestined that some people would go to heaven. Uh, the ones that obey him, the ones that choose to follow him and obey. So uh, that's what I think the Bible means when it says predestination. And uh, no, you've got free will. You get to choose. It's, it's not settled yet. So pay attention to what the Bible says. Know your Bible and respond. All right, Toby, you take over.
1: Okay, next question a viewer asked is, Revelation says there will be servants around the throne day and night. Does that mean there will be day and night? Uh, no, that is not what it means. Revelation chapter 4, verse 8, it's probably <coughs> the verse they're referring to, is not on the screen, but you can look it up at home. The scripture reads, Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, under even under its wings. Day and night, they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And this phrase, day and night, at least in the NIV, is used uh, five uh, five times total in the book of Revelation. So in these instances, of course, it cannot be referring to day and night and referring to an exact position of the earth in relation to the sun and where its rotation is. No, because uh, this is describing an experience in heaven, which is outside of the earth and the sun. Uh, and so what it is referring to is this idea of all the time. Um, you might hear a parent saying, well, kids were playing their music, you know, they were up all night. Well, maybe they don't mean they were literally up from through the night, but they were up very late is what they're saying. Well, day and night is this idea of all the time, constantly these creatures surround the throne (coughs) and are saying, holy, holy, holy. And I do believe that is happening but is there an actual day and night in heaven uh, in the way we think of it I don't think so Uh, we know this because there's no sun or moon in heaven and let's look at Revelation chapter 21 verses 23 through 24 to explain this the city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it for the glory of the Lord gives its light and the lamb is its lamp the nations will walk by its light and the kings of earth will bring their splendor into it. And we got to remember Revelation is a book of imagery and symbolism. That's very important as we read the book uh, to not step into the world of literalism uh, as we read through the words. So, hope that helps.
0: Uh, another thing I never thought of it until you were giving that answer, but uh, when John had that vision, uh, he was in the world of day and night. Yep. He was living here, and he was seeing this vision yep. that, that it just went on and on and on and yep. on. So, from his perspective, perspective. They never did stop day or night. That's right. So, maybe that's one way to look at it. But Could be. <laughs> <laughs> either that or just a term for, for all the time. Alright, baptism, Jewish baptism. What is the Jewish baptism practice and did they do it during Jesus' day? Well, there is a Jewish baptism with an immersion, if you will. Uh, I believe it's called mikvah as the ceremony. And yes, they did do it in Jesus' day, and yes, they still do it from my understanding and studying of Judaism. I'm not an expert on that in any means, but uh, from my research, uh, the Jewish washing of the body, the, the mikvah, the immersion, uh, was just part of it. And it had, in the Old Testament, I think it had more to do with uh, physical cleanness and health, uh, physical purity, than it did the spiritual. Now, it did have some spiritual connotations. We'll get there in a moment. Uh, but it was more the, the physical. The Old Testament uh, had prescribed washings after certain events. If you had a disease, if you were sick of this or that, or had an issue of blood or something, you had to wash. You had to cleanse yourself ceremonially. Now, a lot of it developed into a whole list of laws in the Mishnah. Uh, lots of laws, and most of them were kind of hand-washing things. Uh, You had to wash your hands in a certain way to be ceremonially pure and all that. Uh, But some of them were a full immersion. Uh, For instance, after a woman's menstrual period, uh, she had to undergo a full immersion, a full cleansing of her body seven days after the menstrual period. Now, uh, that still carries on today, and but you are asked if they did it in Jesus' day, so let me show you an old picture here of a uh, Jewish baptismal place where they did the mikvah. Uh, this is from Jesus' day, and those were all over the Jewish world, a lot of them in Jerusalem. In fact, some people wonder, how could the apostles ever baptize 3,000 people in one day? Well, there were a lot of baptismal places. Uh, so they had a lot of places to do it uh, because it was a very common Practice in that day. Now I said that it was for full immersion. Sometimes uh, I already mentioned the menstrual period. There were some other uh, uncleanness and diseases and things that the Old Testament prescribed it for. But it was also used when a Gentile wanted to convert to Judaism. When he wanted to become a proselyte to the Jewish religion, a Gentile had to go undergo a full immersion. Had to have a mikvah ceremony. And that ceremonially purified him uh, so that he could practice what as much as the Gentiles could practice of the Jewish religion. So, yes, they did it in Jesus' day. Uh, They still do it today for the same reasons of uncleanness and sickness. uh, All of that still goes on as far as I know. If a Gentile wants to become a, a Jew today, they have to undergo that ceremony. So... That's what they practice and still do today. Interesting. All right, uh, let me talk about a good way to study the Bible. Uh, we, of course, we're we're a good way to learn something about the Bible. If you've got thirty minutes each week, uh, you can tune in and you'll get answers to seven, eight, nine questions sometimes, uh, as fast as we can go. But there's a whole lot more in the Bible, so we've got some Bible study materials that we're happy to share with you. Uh, offer them to you absolutely free of charge. I know some people get a little nervous when they hear TV preachers giving away free things, uh, but this really is free. We, we don't charge you anything. We don't uh, uh, even ask for you to put a stamp on it. We'll take care of the stamps for you. And we uh, don't put you on a mailing list or ever ask you for money. We just want you to study the Bible. And this first course here is a really good way to study the Bible. See the first two lessons there, actually the first three. The Old Testament, the New Testament, and rightly dividing the Word. Uh, What are the Old Testament and New Testament? What's the difference between them? Uh, How do you study the Bible to know the difference? So, real basic stuff, good uh, overview of the Bible. When you get done, you'll know a whole lot more about the Bible. And uh, once you get done with this course, we'll get you a handsome certificate. And uh, we've also got a lot more advanced courses that we're happy to provide you so you can keep studying the Bible a long time with Know Your Bible Study Tools. Uh, Give us a call, log on to the website, tell us you'd like to try that course. We'll send it to you. If you find it's not helpful, just stop. We won't bother bother you in any way. Uh, It's up to you. You can go as fast and as slow as you want. You can learn a lot of Bible though with our uh, study tools. So give us a call and let us get started. All right, Toby.
1: Yes, they got a singing question. The viewer asks, Why don't you use musical instruments at the Church of Christ? Well, that's probably something we're best well known for. If you're a member of Churches of Christ, people ask what church you attend. And uh, you say, oh, churches of Christ, people say, oh, you're the guys who, who don't believe in music or you don't use instruments or something along those lines. And I understand why people ask that. It is a little unusual. Uh, it seems unusual, I should say, but historically, actually, uh, Christians always uh, worship more often than not, I should say, in the manner of a cappella, and that is without the use of the instrument. In fact, the literal word, a cappella, Latin term, meaning in the manner of the church. So, historically, churches Uh, used or sang worshipped without the aid of a mechanical instrument. In fact, I believe the Eastern Orthodox Church still does today. Um, And so, Churches of Christ do because that seems to be the historical practice and the scriptural practice. We don't see any example of uh, Christians in the New Testament, uh, there's no mention any of, of it anyway. Uh, the only admonition is to sing and to worship God with your heart. People will go to Psalms and say, yes, but David used our... Well, we're not talking about David. That's a different covenant. We're looking at the church and the, the kingdom of Christ. And so historically, scripturally, Uh, The example and practice that we see uh, is a cappella singing. To me, it's the safest, purest form of worship. To me, there's hardly anything more beautiful than hundreds of of human voices, the most beautiful instrument God ever created in unison singing (laughs) harmony together. And so that's uh, some of the reasons that we use uh, historically, scripturally, and we just believe it's the purest form of worship. Let's look at one verse from Ephesians chapter 5, verses 19 and 20, where Paul writes, Speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, that's a, an answer that will help you know a little bit more about why churches of Christ are mostly a cappella.
0: Good quick quick summary there, Toby. <coughs> All right, baptism. Another question about who can do it here. Can a non-clergy person baptize another person? Well, uh, non-clergy Christian is kind of an oxymoron. Uh, the Bible doesn't talk about clergy actually. Uh, we've kind of made that up in the religious world, a difference between clergy and lay people. The Bible doesn't talk about that actually. The Bible says that all Christians are priests. All Christians are ministers. All Christians uh, are uh, ambassadors for Christ. So, that's the way the Bible strictly talks about it. Uh, but, I suppose this viewer could mean uh, how about even a non Christian uh, well, in an extreme case, I can see where that would be mandatory I mean the ultimate is you know two people stuck on a desert island, and you know, one of them decides he wants to be baptized. Could the other guy do it? Uh, of course, hypotheticals always get you <laughs> off track, but that 's one uh, The answer is the bible doesn 't say anything about it there 's no rules about the baptizer uh, doesn't say that it has to be a certain uh, degree or ordination or status or anything about the baptizer. just never mentions it. Uh, in fact, the baptizer is the least important person uh, in the whole equation of what's going on that day. Uh, the important part is between God and the baptizee. Uh, the person that decides he wants to be baptized to obey Jesus, uh, what he commanded us to do, what his heart's like, and God recognizing that. God seeing uh, the true heart. Now, if the heart's wrong, if the person's really just fooling around or doing it because he thinks he's got to or to make some person happy, uh, God knows that. And you can do all the outward forms of baptism, and God knows that the heart's not right. Uh, so that's the important relationship, is the person being baptized and God. Now, who does it? The Bible doesn't say any rules or regulations. Personally, uh, I think it would be preferable to get a spiritual person, uh, somebody that can maybe talk to you a little bit about it and help you understand the importance of what you're doing and all that. Uh, be good to get a person that you respect to help you in this very important life decision. Uh, but, the real answer is the Bible just doesn't say, so uh, I think it's wise to get a respected spiritual leader of some sort, perhaps to do it. Uh, just makes it a little more meaningful, uh, but Bible strictly read no conditions for the baptizer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, let me take this moment and invite you to visit a church of Christ near you. We do this every week uh, because uh, we're kept on the air by no churches of Christ. Uh, you might notice we never ask you for money and uh, that's not the way this program operates. We've got a whole lot of Christians and a whole lot of churches in different places uh, that help us stay on the air and that's the way we don't have to ever ask anybody. Today let me talk about the church up in Iowa, Burlington, Iowa. Burlington Church of Christ, a great group of folks there, have been our partner in Know Your Bible for many, many years. Uh, program is broadcast up there from uh, Rock Island, Illinois. Uh, it's on at 7.30 on uh, one channel and 9.30 on another one up there. So we get a little special coverage there. And the Burlington Church helps us with all of that, uh, answers the phones and handles the correspondence courses in that market. Uh, we appreciate them and uh, would like to tell you to drop in and visit them sometime. Or maybe you know a member that work with somebody that goes to that church. Uh, tell them you were watching Know Your Bible the other day and you like what you saw, and you appreciate them keeping uh, us on the air. So whatever market you live in, there's probably a Church of Christ near you. Uh, drop in and visit them sometime. You'd find folks that think and study the Bible a lot like we do on this program, and you'd be warmly welcomed at any Church of Christ. All right, Toby, the old got, dinosaur's got the question. the dinosaur question, yeah. Viewer
1: <laughs> asked the question, were dinosaurs on the ark? Which is always fun to think about. And the answer to that is yes, dinosaurs were on the ark. And we begin to immediately imagine how... Huge creatures could fit on the boat. Well, the answer is uh, dinosaurs could have been that they brought on could have been much smaller than they we imagine, and uh, the boat was much much larger than we can even begin to wrap our minds around. Genesis chapter six is where it's recorded. Verse fifteen says it was 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, and 45 feet tall. Verse nineteen, which is there on the screen, says. Uh, Jesus or God told Noah, you are to bring into the ark two <coughs> of all living creatures male and female to keep them alive with you And I thought about this you know the dinosaurs, uh, whatever ones they brought could have been uh, younger uh, adolescent versions. Uh, not full grown, not fully matured, and so they would have been smaller, but I think even if they were uh, full size, uh, when you look at this actual size of the ark, it still could have fit. I put a picture here on the screen of a graphic that I found that kind of gives you some idea of how big the ark actually was, and of course we don't know how it was shaped, but we can use the dimensions and just, you know, scale and comparison there. you could fit a 747 on the Ark and still have quite a bit of room. So it was much larger than we imagined and certainly lots of room for creatures of all shapes and sizes to go on the Ark. So yes, they were there and uh, exactly what size they were, we don't know, but we know the Ark was big enough to hold everything that was necessary. So yep. yes
0: is the answer. Uh, I think that's probably right, <laughs> assuming they were still around at the time of the Ark. Yep, and I we don't think know. they were. we yep. Think- yep. We think the change in temperature and climate and all that's probably what got rid of them. Yep. But we really don't know when they we don't uh, know. went extinct. But if they were still alive around when there, Noah yep. built the ark, they got a ride. Yep. <laughs> uh, while you were talking about it could have been baby dinosaurs, I yep. thought... He might have taken a couple of eggs. Dinosaur
1: eggs, like, yeah. And, uh,
0: yep. All he needed was a male and a female, yep. and God could have helped him figure that out and <laughs> hatched them out just fine. A pink and a blue egg, huh? <laughs> yeah, we, we don't know is the answer exactly, but if they were alive, they were there because that was the rule. All right, uh, a real prehistori- early beginning question here about Adam and Eve. The viewer wants to know, do you believe that Adam and Eve had sex with the devil in the garden? And I think that's worth the answer of no, and that's about all it's worth. Uh, that's a, a weird interpretation of Genesis, if you will. Uh, there's some charlatans out there that uh, take Genesis and come up with some really weird stuff out of first first and second chapter of Genesis. Uh, I will warn you this, almost all of the people that talk about that kind of thing or... Uh, the two different creations or anything, all of that. Uh, almost all of that is based in, uh, well, I don't know how kindly to say it, uh, junk teaching about the races is what I'll say. Uh, it's usually by some white supremacist or someone that's trying to establish uh, uh <laughs> a difference between the races, uh, where one is inferior and one superior, and uh, cause some kind of distinction there. And so, if you take first and second Genesis and make it two different creations, and claim one of it was God created and one of it was Satan created, and all that, uh, it's not. It's like I even hate to spend any time discussing it. It's so ridiculous. But there are some folks that teach that. You get it on the late night radio or something and hear something like that. Uh, just go find you another channel and you'll be fine. Uh, no, they, nothing in the Bible about that question and did not happen. All right, Bible translation. Go to a translation question. Yeah, it's a lot better. <laughs>
1: A viewer wants to know, are all Bible translations the same? And the simple answer to that is no. Of course, a translation is just simply translating from the original language of the Bible, which was in the Old Testament Hebrew, and the New Testament would have been uh, Greek, and translating that into the English language. Of course, any of you language people know that anytime that happens, the process is a little, sometimes there's not words in both languages that have equal weight and all of that. And so there's a difference in the translations. And the main difference, I mean, if you want to think of it on a scale of readability, which is thought for thought, giving you the gist of the idea of this passage... Versus word for word, which is the accuracy of the passage. So you can read something that's very accurate, but it's kind of hard to understand. And there are some translations that are very easy to understand. Children can understand them, but they're not very accurate. So let's look at this picture. Uh, and this is kind of my very simple scaling here. On the left here, I have a picture of uh, actually a Bible that my one of my young children uses. We read those stories, it gives them the gist of the story. They learn about the characters and the main ideas, but it is not in any way Uh, word-for-word accurate. It just gives them... Now, all the way on the right-hand side of your screen, I have a picture of an interlinear Bible, which is simply the Greek text with the exact word-for-word translation uh, underneath the Greek text, so you can just read straight from the Greek. I say you can, but it's pretty hard to understand. And so somewhere between the scale of readability and accuracy, you find translations. Now, on this program, we use large the English Standard Version, the New International Version and the New American Standard Version which we think are very accurate and yet uh, readable for general audiences. Now you'll have to find the translation that best suits your specific readability and my general advice is get something that is as accurate as possible that you can read without too much stumbling and and, uh, uh, getting messed up just because of the language difficulty. So, uh, any of those translations we use on the program will be wonderful. Uh, Let me reference one other uh, website that you can look up if you're looking for a Bible, and that is BibleGateway.com. And from Bible Gateway, you can look at all the different (coughs) translations, and just you can get them in side by side and see exactly how the verses read differently. So... I uh, hope that helps. A wonderful question, uh, always weigh readability versus accuracy. Try to get the most accurate one you can for serious Bible study.
0: All right, righty, good answer. Let's make sure we get our trivia question answered today. And back in the beginning Adam and Eve had Cain and Abel, and Cain killed Abel, and uh, the Bible says that another son was born to replace Abel. Who was that? Seth. In Genesis 4:25, you can have that, find that answer. Uh, obviously, Eve had a lot more children because she was supposed to populate the earth, uh, but Seth was the one that replaced Abel. We're glad you've been here today. Hope you got your question answered. If not, be back next week. Maybe we'll get to it. Till you see you next week. You have a great week. Know your Bible has been presented by the Churches of Christ in your area.